Turn with me then in your Bibles to John's Gospel in chapter 2. And we are seeing the cleansing of the temple in the second half of the chapter. Now, chapter 2 and 3 of John's Gospel says an awful lot about leaving old things behind and going on into new beginnings and new life. Do you remember that from this morning? The water being turned into wine. Leaving behind water, going on into wine. Leaving behind water, purification, going into the marriage supper of the Lamb. John 3, remember when Jesus meets with Nicodemus? He says, Nicodemus, you need to be out with the old you, in with the new. You need to be born again. You need to die and be born again. It's just the same sort of thing. So the question is, how does the cleansing of the temple fit in with that? What is the out with the old and in with the new in John chapter 2 and the second half? Now, this morning what we did is we ran quickly through what happened on that day and then we explained what it meant. Do you remember? It was only a few hours ago. So we'll do it again now, this evening. We'll look at the event uh, in verses 13 to 18, and then we'll look at the explanation that is given for it in verses 18 to 22. So first of all, the event, the event of the cleansing of the temple. Now, did you notice, you can look if you want and cheat, when does it happen? Verse 13, verse 23 as well. Anyone? Oh. Passover, I can hear it, yeah, Passover. What's Passover? Passover is a festival, isn't it? One of the festivals of the Jews, and they still observe it today. Passover. It's when our fathers in the faith gathered to the temple every year to remember that time when, through the death of the Lamb, they entered into a new life. They left behind the old, and they went into the new. They're remembering it every single year at Passover remembering when a lamb was sacrificed so that they could leave behind the old life and go on into the new. And that was a picture, wasn't it? Quite a clear picture. We could see so clearly our Lord Jesus Christ, his sacrifice upon the cross for sinners through the death of this lamb of God, Jesus, the son of God. We leave behind an old life and go on into a new life, the good life, the eternal life. But unfortunately, that is not what is happening on this particular Passover in the temple. And Jesus goes there, hoping, expecting to find his people worshipping, remembering Passover, observing the feast and the festival. He doesn't find that at all. What does he find instead? Instead of remembering the sacrifice, they've forgotten it. Instead of living a new life full of praise, what God has done, full of good works for others, instead of finding people who are storing up for themselves treasures in heaven, he finds the opposite. They're up to the opposite. The leaders in the temple have apparently forgotten the Passover. They're neglecting good works. They're neglecting the new life. Instead, they are living the old life. They're focusing on the old way of things, they're focusing on this world and its treasures, namely cash. That's what they're focusing on. They see the Passover, this wonderful gift from God, so they may never forget that through the death of a lamb, they were set free from an old life and brought into a new. 
They've forgotten that, and they see in Passover instead an opportunity to make some dollar, to make some cash. And so they set up a market in the court of the Gentiles where there should be space for people to come from all over the world to seek God and be reconciled to him through Christ. But instead, you've got this market there, and they're making money out of pilgrims. Now, there's a sense in which that's all right. All right? You, you've got to have something like that, because if you're traveling from all over the world, you've got to, you can't just bring the lambs with you, and the bulls, and the ox, and the doves. You know, you've got to buy it when you get there. So there's a, there's a degree to which this is permitted. Uh, it was quite usual to have even an internal currency in the temple, and you could go and you could buy animals for sacrifice there. But what Jesus is really mad at isn't that there just happens to be some dealing here to make provisions for pilgrims. He's angry because they're so zealous to make so much money. They got the priorities all the way round, wrong way round. Now, on a scale of 1 to 10, how angry do you think Jesus is? 10? 10, 10 angry. He is really angry. Look at verse 15 says there, he made a whip of cords. Have you ever made a whip? There's a man in my village who makes whips. I didn't know there was anyone who knew how to make whips anymore, but he does. He makes whips. And I asked him, I said, Josh, how would you make a whip? And he explained to me, you take cords and you've got to tie them together in a particular way. I said, how long does that take? He said, oh, it takes ages. Depends on the whip you make. He says, but you can't make it quick. It takes ages to put a whip together. Jesus is so mad that he has time to make a whip. And by the time he's done making it and he's tied the final knot, he's still mad enough to use it. He's really mad. He's ten mad. But it also shows, the fact that he makes this whip, that he's in control. It's not a temper tantrum. He's not flown off the handle. He's not gone ballistic. But he's careful in executing judgment. He's made a whip in his anger. And in that time, he's deciding, he's purposeful about what he's doing. Jesus really challenges our sensibilities sometimes, doesn't he? Can you imagine this? Can you see it in your head? I don't know if there's been dramatizations you can find on telly sometimes, isn't there? Can you see it in your mind's eye? This Jew has walked into the house of God. And he's whipping away all these people and all their things consumer rights what about personal property that he's throwing out of the temple what about civil order people scurrying around to avoid the whip diving out the way of cows and sheep even their money big boxes of money he picks it up and he tips it all out on the floor and throws it what a sight it must have been what a commotion what he's doing is he is trying to cleanse the temple to renew the temple, to change it from something old into something new. Instead of about making money and exploiting people, he wants it to be about worship and reconciliation with God. I want you to think about the before and after in the temple. Can you see it before? Full of money, full of profit and profit margins, full of Jews making money out of Gentiles. But after... Sinners from all over the world now have space to access God the Father through Jesus Christ. Despite all the commotion and the kerfuffle, 
all the witnesses to this remarkable event have bigger problems than all the things we've just listed. They have bigger problems than the fact that he's thrown their money out and kicked the sheep out and that he's spouting off about making uh, my father's house a house of trade. They, you know, they don't seem to have much big cheese about that. They have bigger problems. Here's how I'll illustrate this bigger problem for you. I want you to imagine you went to a, a big shopping centre, maybe you go down MacArthur Glen or something, and uh, while you're in there, you're in your favourite department store or something, and you hear a kerfuffle, and when you have a look, there's some women who has taken it upon themselves to boisterously start kicking everybody out. Get out, get out, get out, get out. What do you do? Well, it depends. If they're in a policeman's uniform, or in a high-vis jacket or something, maybe you would say, oh, well, right then, let's better get out of here. But if it's someone who just looks like me, or they're in jeans and trainers or something, you want to know, wait a second, what's going on here? What's going on here? And that's what happens in the temple, you see. All the Jews have seen this happen, and they see Jesus, and they're thinking, who's this guy? Who does he think he is? He's no Levite, he's not a priest, he's not a Pharisee, he's not a member of the council. Does anyone know who this guy is? Where does he get off regulating the temple? Kicking people out? saying how we get to do temple. Where is his authority? That's the question. That's their big problem. Where does he get his authority? And so they ask this question in verse 18. They see what's going on, and the Jews say to Jesus, what sign will you show us for doing these things? Do you see what they mean? What are you going to show us? What miracle are you going to do to prove to us that you have authority? Justify yourself, they say. Presuming to regulate our own worship, show us, prove to us that you have the power, the authority to do so. It's interesting, isn't it? That having heard Jesus' quite striking words take these things away, do not make my father's house. You see what he's saying there about his relationship with God? A house of trade. They don't seem to have a problem with his words. They're not taking those seriously. They want an explanation for his actions. It's as if they want God to report to them. Show us a divine miracle. Justify yourself to us. Have you ever, um, I don't know, you you might be sharing your faith with someone. And uh, they say to you something along the lines of, I don't know if you've had this. Oh, I would believe, I'd like to believe, but... You know, why doesn't God just show himself? I would believe if God appeared in the sky. Or if only God wrote in the sky, Jesus is my only son, everyone believe in him, then I'd believe. If only I saw the face of Jesus in my marmalade on my toast tomorrow morning, then I would believe. Have you heard people say silly things like that? That's what's going on here. They want him to prove, show us a sign to prove your authority to do what you've just done. Now, Jesus, of course, doesn't kowtow to that, but he does, interestingly, in verse 19, justify his actions. Now, this moves us from the event into the explanation, where Jesus is going to explain to us uh, what the event means of cleansing the temple. In verse 19, his explanation is, he says, destroy this temple, and I will raise it in three days. By by speaking like that, the Lord Jesus is referring 
to his death and his resurrection. Destroy this temple, his death, and I will raise it in three days, his resurrection. Jesus says that the sign which shows his authority to cleanse the temple is that he will die and rise again. Remember we said this morning, what does Mary's request for more wine have to do with Jesus' hour? Do you remember that question? Well, in the same way we can say this evening, what does cleansing the temple have to do with Jesus' death and resurrection? How is his death and resurrection any sort of justification or authority at all for him to cleanse the temple? Well, for that, we need to understand the temple. So what I'm going to do for you now is I'm going to take you on a very minor tangent, all right? A little sub-point about the temple. And at the end of that, we'll get, we'll understand why Jesus' death and resurrection lets him do what he's doing, okay? The temple has certain parallels, certain, uh, like, uh, like, like copies, if you will, in different ways. You can see the same thing in different ways. Uh, let me, and I'll give you two. The first one, the first parallel with the temple is Jesus' body. You get that in verse 21 where he says he was speaking about the temple of his body. Both the temple and Jesus are where God and man come together. Both the temple and Jesus is the place of sacrifice that reconciles God and men. Jesus says, destroy this body, this temple, and I will raise it in three days. So that's your first parallel, but this question still remains, what has that got to do with cleansing the temple? Well, that brings us to the second parallel. In 1 Chronicles 28, it says that the temple was designed really carefully and deliberately designed in every detail by none other than God the Holy Spirit. And there have been various editions of the temple through history, the same temple and just different editions of it. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to describe the temple to you, and then I think you will be able to tell me what it represents. Ready? Right in the center, the nerve center, the headquarters of the temple, is the Holy of Holies, the holiest place. Everything's made of gold, and it's pure and it's clean, and you can't go there, and God lives there. It's completely untouched, and no one can ever reach it. It's like the highest heaven. Then there's a veil. A thick veil, this deep blue, really deep blue. And there are pictures on it, embroidered in. Stars, planets, angels, and it looks just like the heavens above the sky. On our side of the curtain, on the walls of the temple, are more pictures. And it's pictures of things that belong to our world down here. Pictures of trees and flowers, animals and fruit and things like that. So, what do you think the temple represents? The temple was a miniature version of everything. There is God in the highest heavens. There is the veil that's like the sky above us. And then there's our planet where we live. And it's full of all the things that God has made. It represents, the temple does, everything in itself. 
I don't know if any of you are into uh, trains and stuff. Any train people here? Do they call them twitchers or is that bird watchers? I can't remember. But there are some people into trains and they have train sets in their house, in their attic or basement or whatever. And they, they got all these trains go around and they take great care and pride in getting every little meticulous detail down. A little bench here, a little post box there, a tiny little person walking a tiny, tiny little dog and the train's going up and down. It's a bit like that, that the temple is a model, but rather than just of one railway station, it's of the whole world. So when Jesus talks about the temple being destroyed and rebuilt in three days, he's referring to his body being destroyed and rebuilt at the cross and the resurrection. After which, God the Father gives him all authority in heaven and on earth to cleanse and renew the temple, the heavens and the earth, everything that's in them. More than dodgy markets, he cleanses everything. He is given authority by the Father to remove all evil, to kick out all sins, to kick out greed, and, and people taking advantage of one another, and sin, and death, and sorrow, and all the terrible things that make us cry. The Father has given Jesus the authority to kick it all out of all of heaven and all of earth so that he can make earth a fit place for God and man to live together. Think again of the before and after when the Lord Jesus is done with the temple. It goes from being a place of greed and making money and exploitation to a place of worship where all the people in the world can come to the Father through Christ and all the forgiveness of their sins. Think of this world, this creation, this cosmos when Jesus is done with it, when he comes and throws out all the dirt and the sin, it goes from being a place of sin and darkness and death and decay and exploitation and sorrow and bereavement and sadness to a place of worship and purity, of life, of people from all over the world coming to the Father through Christ for the forgiveness of their sins. A holy place of true worship and reconciliation. What Jesus is, there's a lot in this, isn't there? It's quite stretchy for my brain. I have to think really hard to try and hold all these things together because the plan of God is so wise and beautiful and big. But here's me trying my best now to put it, put it in, a, in a sentence for you. What Jesus is saying when they come to him and they say, explain yourself, why are you doing this outrageous thing? He says, listen, through my destruction and rebuilding through my death and my resurrection the father gives me authority to destroy and rebuild not just this temple but the whole heaven which it represents it was a long time ago now but some of you will probably remember it do you remember the, the terrible west murders in Gloucester all those years ago you know, after, after the, those murders that were so uh, awful to even hear about, that really left a mark on the nation, the home in which many of those crimes were committed was demolished. It was seen not fit for anything. Corrupted, ruined, besmirched. And so it was destroyed and demolished. It didn't get sold or refurbished or anything they just raised it to the ground rubbed it out similar things happened in Escagaliog after 
April Jones's murder here in Wales. The home where that crime was committed was bulldozed, rubbed out like it, like it could never be there. It's so offensive. You know, when terribly offensive crimes happen, we have this instinct in us to just rub it out and erase it and just get rid of it so we never see it again. We want it just gone. The Lord Jesus says that just as the temple was dealing with sin every day by sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice to rub out sins, he says, so, so will I in my body deal with sin. I will absorb it all myself and rub it all out. I will be destroyed and rubbed out. And so he will in the end, when he comes back in the second coming, rub out and erase all the sin in the world and make it all new. He takes all of our sins himself so he will be erased, so that he will be kicked out of God's house, so that he will be dead and buried as we deserve. And on the third day he rises again into new life, destroyed and rebuilt as the Lord over all things, over all of heaven and earth. And even now he's beginning, isn't he, to drive out of the cosmos by his gospel all the things that offend. And he's ultimately bringing to destruction all sin and evil, rebuilding everything when he returns into a new heavens and a new earth, a new body, new temple, new heavens, new earth. You know, we read Malachi 3 not long ago and it prophesied, didn't it, about Jesus cleansing the temple. The Lord will suddenly come to his temple and he will cleanse it. He's coming again, you know. It's the great consolation of Christians that the Lord Jesus doesn't leave us here as we are, but he's coming again. And he's not going to come to a particular building in Jerusalem to cleanse it or whatever. He's coming to all creation. He's going to roll back the sky that is that blue veil between the heavens and the earth where God is and where we are, he's going to roll that back. And he's going to stroll in. And he's going to deal with this creation. And once again, he's going to be angry at sin. And once again, he's going to be angry at what sin has done to us. And done to his world. To his people. And once again, he's going to evict all uncleanness and all wickedness. Once again, he's going to throw it all out. He's going to say, this is a place of prayer. This is not a place of exploitation, greed, and sin anymore. Once again, he's going to take this cosmos, he's going to turn it upside down, he's going to give it a good old shake. He's going to get all the rubbish out. No more sin, no more sorrow, no more evil or death or sadness, no more greed, corruption, no more treasures on this earth. He's going to be done with all of it. He's going to demolish the whole world. He's going to raise creation to the ground, and then he'll raise it from the dead, new, brand new. He's going to do that. The son of the father. Where is his authority to do such an outrageous thing as that? Jesus says it himself in John 5. The father has given me all authority in heaven and on earth. And the reason for that is that he was obedient Obedient to the Father, even unto death. And so he was given a name that is above every name. 
so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bend, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord, to the glory of God the Father. So John 2, in this cleansing of the temple, you see it's like a rehearsal. I'm finishing now, right? I'm wrapping up last couple of sentences. It was a rehearsal. Jesus practicing what he's going to do when he comes back again into the creation that this temple represents and cleanse it all and make it all new. He's practicing. Now, we didn't get to see this one. It happened ages ago in a place very far away. But we're going to see the real thing. We will. You, with your own eyeballs, will see Jesus return. You'll see it. Not the rehearsal, but the real thing. When he comes to throw out the old and bring in the new. To fold up this world like an old garment and dress us all in new ones. When you see it, when you see it, will you be there just to have all of your worldly goods turned upside down and shaken out into the rubbish tip? Will you be whipped out, demolished, burned up forever? Or will you be raised to new eternal life? Out with the old, in with the new. You see, the Bible tells us if there's anything impure in us at all, if we've ever sinned, if we've ever broken any of God's laws, if we've ever failed to love God, with all of our heart and our soul and our mind and our strength, if we have ever failed at all to love others as we love ourselves, then there's no hope for us. We're going to be chucked out of the creation along with all wickedness and evil. But the great and wonderful, the good news of the gospel is that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, has been demolished and rebuilt for us so that we will be rebuilt in him he's been burned up like a sacrifice in the temple for us and he has been given authority by the father to give us new life a new heavens and a new earth you know if you are trusting in the lord jesus this evening you will never, ever, ever be kicked out of the house of the Lord. You will always be welcome with a permanent new life. The Lord's house will be your house. If you trust him today, he will take all of your sin, the old, away, and he'll give you the new, the new life, and a home with his Father forever, where we will be safe for good and renewed according to the image of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who loved us and gave himself for us.